just suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me. called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. Well, I'm so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels. From these hands hold the nails that torment me. Had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. Then Hey, do we got, there we go, we got some sound, all right. Good, I must have been flipping the switch the wrong way. That's what happens when I try to receive glory. <laughs> all right, 2 Peter chapter 1. Boy, I tell you, it's Father's Day. Man, I know no one can think about anything but the table. <laughs> or at least I can't. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't even seen what's on it. Didn't even look. But I expect to win. You say, why do you expect to win? Because I'm a winner. And winners win. <laughs> I've never won yet, but I'm still planning on winning. Positive attitude, right? That cup is half full, not half empty. Second Peter chapter 1. We are going to focus primarily and direct our message to the men tonight, however, or this morning, excuse me, but I'll tell you this, the principles we're going to discuss certainly apply to all of us, no doubt about that. Every mom, every grandma, every person can glean from the message, obviously, but I do want to, in the end, really draw it close and even throughout, pointing out how important it is that men will be uh, equally as motivated as the Apostle Peter was here. Now, notice what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 12, let's begin there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. 
Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shewed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, and Lord, just work in our lives today, especially be with our men as, uh, and dads, especially, as we make our uh, way into this text. As Lord, may our hearts be stirred to truly, Father, uh, embrace this simple principle. Lord, we love you now. We desperately need you. May you just walk these aisles and do a work in hearts and lives. But most importantly, Lord, I need you to do something in mine. Fill me with your Holy Ghost. I wish to be simply a vessel that you can use today. Guide my every word. And Lord, may every aspect of this presentation, this message be something that truly brings glory and honor to you. You're so worthy of our praise. So we commit the service into your hands, asking now, Lord, that you would just work now in these next moments. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so Peter is writing to believers, uh, and uh, according to verse 4, this is the case. He says they are partakers of the divine nature. They'd been given some precious promises, and as a result of those receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, as a result of receiving these precious promises, they have receive, therefore, the divine nature. We know that Christ literally lives in us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. He takes up residency in our life. Man, that's a wonderful truth, to know that the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, literally lives inside of me. Man, that's humbling, truly humbling. And in this particular passage, it's pretty clear, according to the Apostle Peter, that he is speaking to a saved group of people, or at least to the church who has received and accept Christ. By the way, in order to be a part of a New Testament church, biblical New Testament church, you have to be scripturally saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't just decide to join a church in that sense. You don't make up your mind one day, I'm going to be a member of this church. No, you have to first become part of, be a member of the body of Christ, a member of the family of God. Then you can enter into the church Physically, but you have to spiritually be a part of the body. Peter's writing then, at least it appears, based on what we can tell, to a saved group of people. And these saved people have been saved out of paganism and gross idolatry. And as Christians in their culture, they were enduring constant persecution, and many of them, if not the majority of them, were tremendously impoverished. They didn't have a whole lot of things. They were very poor. And he's concerned for the people, and he's concerned for their future. And as we begin in verse 5, Peter says, and beside this. And what Peter's saying in verse 5 is everything that precedes it, verse 4, he's saying, now besides this, besides the things that we've already discussed, the, beside the fact that you already know Christ, besides the fact that you're secure in him, and, and, and as a result of all those precious promises that you've received, beside all of that, there's more that needs done. These people had begun well, but Peter wanted to ensure that they finish well also. 
He was determined to assist these saints. He was determined to equip them with the very tools they needed to guarantee that they should neither be barren nor unfruitful, nor that they ever fall. So to Peter, the Christian life is largely a matter of addition. He looks at the Christian life and he says, man, the Christian life is like a mathematical equation or problem, a simple addition problem. And by the way, when we first learned our our mathematics, we learned real simple things like addition. Boy, I mean, you get into multiplication and division. It gets crazy. But let me tell you, addition isn't that hard. You have to take some time to learn it. But however, it's much more simple than other things. One plus one equals two, at least it used to be. And I'll tell you this, the fact is, is that that's probably as simple as it gets in mathematics, and you don't need to know a whole lot to be successful in life, by the way. You need to know how to add and how to subtract. Keep a checkbook. Am I making money or losing money? Do I have enough money or not enough money? Simple addition and subtraction normally works pretty well. And can I tell you, he's equating the Christian life to a simple mathematical equation. He's saying simply this, the Christian life is not complicated. It's all about just simple addition. You just have to add some things. Yes, you have a strong foundation. Yes, you're planted on the solid rock. But hold on, that's not enough. You need to add some things. And so he shares a few of those things. He says to their faith, they have to add virtue. And specifically, he's speaking of the knowledge of the person and the work and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you don't know him, how can you become like him? He says, then to that knowledge, you need to add temperance. He's saying self-control. Now, I'm talking about the verses before this. And he's saying, you need to add some some self-control. You're going to have to be able to say no to yourself. You need to be able to deny yourself. And he's warning them unless they can add temperance to their faith that they're going to be ruled by their passions instead of the Spirit of God. He earlier in the passage also says to that temperance, you need to add patience. He says patience or endurance, if you will, is the ability to remain faithful to God under pressure while enduring the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in because your heart looks continually to Him in faith for strength and reward. And if you do that, you'll be all right. You'll be patient and you can wait. But boy, you get your eyes off of Him and you won't be able to endure. You won't be able to be patient. He goes on to say, listen, you need to add to patience godliness. One might say that godliness is the, next, is the New Testament equivalent to the fear of the Lord. Therefore, we could define godliness as a God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. So the godly man or the godly woman not only is just being good, but they're doing good. He says to that godliness, you have to add brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, it, it, it points to a feeling of affection that and a willingness even to share with those who are members of the family, share with those who you have something in common with. We could even say, share with the household of faith. You know Christ, I know Christ, and boy, I'll tell you what, brotherly kindness. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we can share with one another, and we can assist one another. You need that brotherly kindness. But once again, Peter continues his spiritual math problem, and he states that we need to add again. So what are we adding this time? 
Well, this time he tells us that we have to add to brotherly kindness, charity. Now, everything so far has been moving to this end. Everything Peter's saying, he's talking about this foundation that has been laid, Christ Jesus, that now Christ lives in us and the divine nature's within us. And now to that foundation, you have to add some things. And it all comes down to ultimately this element of charity. we got to learn it. And the truth is you can't arrive at charity or this kind of love without the supporting virtues that have already been listed by Peter. Because he's saying you're going to have to add this and add this and add this, 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 and this before you can truly apply godly charity or love. See, love cannot endure all things without endurance. It cannot hope all things and believe all things without knowledge. It cannot be kind or long-suffering without self-control. And so every one of these former virtues has to be developed if truly godly love is to be experienced by you and I, the believer. What's the outcome of this addition in the believer's life? How's it end for all of us if we get placed firmly on that solid foundation of the Lord Jesus and begin to add these virtues to our life and our faith foundation? The apostle Peter then begins to state in verse 8, for if these things, these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You shall neither be barren nor unfruitful if these things be in you, if these things that I've just shared, if this foundation is solid and secure in your life and you begin to add these things to it, then you can know that you will be fruitful. He also instructs them to, verse 10, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. See, building upon your faith foundation not only promises fruitfulness in your life, but it also prevents falling. How many times have we watched someone that has begun the race with great potential or progress or success, and next thing you know, we look and we don't see them anymore. We don't recognize their fruitfulness any longer. What has transpired many times, the problem began way back when they failed to keep adding. Adding. See, if we're not going forward in the Christian faith, we are really losing ground. That's what we're finding here in the passage. And Peter is making sure. He's saying, listen, I want you to add to your faith foundation. I want you to be fruitful in your Christian life. I want you to never fall. Boy, that's something we all need to take heed to. And now we arrive at our text. And he says in verse 12, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. These things. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth, He says, wait a second, these things, these things aren't new then. Because he says very clearly that, well, 
You're already aware of them. You know them already. You're established in this present truth. You're not only do you know these things, but you've been working diligently to apply these truths. You've been seeking to add to your faith foundation. You've been doing exactly like I'm telling you. Nonetheless, he goes on to remind them concerning them, though. He still reminds them. And in verse 13, he says, Yea, I think it meet or profitable as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He says, I believe that it is important and that it is worthwhile and profitable to stir you up or to keep you buzzing about these truths for as long as I'm alive. See, repetition is indeed the key to learning. And he's saying, I aim to remind you over and over and over again in order to keep you focused and grounded in the truth. And as long as I have breath in my body, I'm going to continue to remind you of these things. Wow. In verse 14, he goes on and he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shewed me. See, he points out that his days are numbered now. How in the world does Peter know this? How does he know his life is coming to an end? The Bible tells us Jesus Christ told him. Made him aware of it. Most of us, let's be honest, we couldn't handle it. You say, boy, I wish I knew when I was going to die so I could... No, you probably don't want to know. It'd probably mess up every day of your life. It'd probably make you lament the days of the past. It'd probably make you concerned about the days of the future. You'd say, well, at least I would know that I'm not going to die. Yeah, but you may not know what's ahead. And let me tell you something. When you do know what's ahead, sometimes you just fret about it. Right? We do that. We're humans. But Peter was so close to God and his heart and his desire was to be with the Lord. And we see here in the passage that he knows, I have but a short time. I'm not going to be with you long. And let me tell you, he's saying, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, verse 15. He says, I mean, through those verses 12 and 13, he's saying, I'm going to keep reminding you. I'm going to keep reminding you. My days are numbered, but I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to stop hearing this. These things are going to be reminded over and over and over again. Yeah, but we've heard them before. Yeah, but you know, I'm tired of it. He preaches the same thing over and over and over again. Peter, you are a bad preacher then. Peter, you weren't a very good apostle. Peter, you were a bad boy. Because your people got tired of hearing the same message. You should have yielded to their desire. You should have taught them something new. You should have given them something else. Peter says, I got nothing else but the best, and that's Jesus Christ and these things. Because the truth is they have nothing, nothing at all without these things. They're rooted on Christ. They have a foundation in Jesus. But if they don't keep adding to the faith, they will slip and fall. 
Not enough to just simply be grounded. Not enough to simply be saved. If you're going to be fruitful, if you're not going to fall, then you must add to your faith. That's what he's saying. And so verse 15, he says, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. I am going to preach it so often. I'm going to remind you so vividly. I'm going to keep it in front of you constantly so that when I'm dead and gone, you will never, ever, ever, ever forget it. Huh. Wow. I'm going to remind you, he says, to grow in faith. I'm going to, over and over again, while I am in this old body, while I still occupy this tabernacle, I'm going to remind you to keep growing in your faith and for Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to remind you to never forget who you are. You are a child of the King. I'm going to tell you to never forget what you are, a byproduct of grace. You are a child of the King because of a byproduct of grace, and you've got to keep adding to your faith. Don't forget where you came from, and don't forget how you got where you've gone. I'm going to remind you over and over and over and over because I don't want you to cease being fruitful and I don't want you to fall. Whether it's in this life of mine, in my lifetime, or long after I'm gone, I want you to continue to be fruitful and continue to stand. So before us then is a tremendous example of our spiritual and practical responsibility toward our children then. That's what we really see here, too, today. I mean, we remain, you know, we remind our children of a lot of things, don't we? I mean, we remind them all the time. Brush your teeth. Take a bath. Comb your hair. Do your homework. Clean your room. Do your chores. Change your clothes. Behave. We remind them all the time, don't we? Constantly reminding them. Why? They got it the first time, right? Right? Hold on, this is interesting, isn't it? Do you realize that the believers that the Apostle Peter is addressing did get it? The Bible tells us, right in our passage, it makes it pretty clear here. He says, He says, Wherefore I will not be negligent, verse 12, to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Do you know they were already making their beds, so to speak? They were brushing their teeth each night. They were combing their hair. They were actually doing everything that they had been taught to do. They were established. They were growing in their faith. They were literally taking these steps to add to their faith and to add to virtue and to add to this and to add to that. Why in the world would Peter continue to remind them then? Could it be because just like our children, we do all have a tendency to forget? Oh, maybe not just intellectually, but practically. The believing father has to understand the responsibility to remind their children or even grandchildren of these things. You know, spiritual matters. 
matters of character, matters of conscience, matters of morality. There is never a time to cease reminding our children, dads. Even when they whine and state that that's boring and old-fashioned, keep reminding. Even when they say, I've heard all this before. I know, Dad. How many times do you have to tell me? Keep reminding them. Don't stop reminding them. Our 40th president, Ronald Reagan, said this once in a speech. Every generation is critical of the generation that preceded it. Our generation felt that way, and so will yours. But in casting aside the old, don't throw out those values that have been tested by time just because they're old. We want to tell you all that we have learned. We want to point out our own experience so vividly that you'll be able to avoid our heartaches while you double and redouble your joys. And then we find we have nothing at our disposal but words, weak, feeble instruments. Still, we must try. Every modicum of knowledge that can be truly and rightly transmitted from one generation to the next can prove invaluable. Well, I'll tell you what. Peter is pointing out a very important principle here then today. Dad, yes, it's important that you provide for your family. Yes, it's important that you protect your family. But there is more to providing and protecting than just money and things. There's a spiritual heritage at stake. Boy, I tell you, it's so easy to lose sight of the most important things in life. We talk about having purpose in our lives. What's my purpose? Why did God create me? How come I exist? What am I to do? Can I tell you as a dad, it's easy. I can tell you real quickly what you need to do for your children. Remind them of these things. Amen. Every day, all the time, reminding them that they must grow in their Christian faith. Reminding them that they, must, that they are children of the King and that they are byproducts of the grace of God. You know why that's so hard sometimes? Because it's, it's hard to give advice when, well, we're not doing it. And let's be honest, as men, we can get sidetracked real easy. I don't care if you're a woman in here, a man in here. I don't care if you're a young person. It's so easy to be distracted from things in the world. Not these things, but things. And can I tell you, it's difficult. It's a difficult to look your son or your daughter in the face and say, you've got to remember to keep growing in your Christian faith. You can't quit now. You've got to add to this, and you need to add to that and add to this. Make sure you're firm on your foundation, but you've got to keep growing. It's hard to do that if we're not doing that. Boy, dads, let's get that settled in our lives. Let's make sure first that we're saved, born again, that the divine nature has taken up residency in our life. Let's make sure we're planted firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that there's a day, a time, a place when we put our personal faith in him, when we recognized ourselves as the sinners that we are and knew that we had no hope of obtaining heaven or having a relationship with the creator unless it come through Jesus who died for us, was buried and rose again. And we said, Lord Jesus, I can't get there without you because you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by you. I need you, Jesus, come into my life. Make sure that you've settled that. Make sure your feet are firmly planted today. Firmly planted on Jesus Christ. And then make a conscious decision to diligently add to your faith. Those qualities, those virtues, those characteristics, they're lofty, aren't they? But that's what you as a believer, me as a believer, need to consistently, continually strive for. Are you making a conscious effort to add to your faith? If you are, I commend you. If you're not, I want to encourage you and exhort you to do so. And then, with every fiber of my being, and every ounce of my strength, like the Apostle Peter, in the Word of God, I want to command you to remind your children to do the same. The apostle, he says, I don't have much longer in this old body. I don't know, it's going to be real soon. Jesus told me, my number's up. And I've stayed with you. I've given you the truth. And you have embraced it. And you have applied it, but I'm going to keep reminding you because I won't always be with you. I'm going to keep reminding you because one day I won't be here and you still need to stand for Jesus Christ. I don't want you to give up on growth. I don't want you to ultimately fade out of existence. I want you to stand firmly on Jesus and I want you to prosper in fruitfulness. I want you to stay Right where you're at and never give in. And I want your family then to have it and their families to have it and the next generation to have it. I want to leave a legacy of faith that you can pass on to the next generation. How important is it to you as a parent that your children embrace your faith? How hard are you willing to work to ensure that happens? What effort are you willing to put forth to make sure that they are reminded not just once or twice, but consistently and constantly by an obedient parent to God that they themselves must follow in your footsteps. Boy, it's important in the world and the generation in which we live. Like no time in my lifetime, there are more departures from the faith than I've ever seen. And some can say, well, they're departing over here. And they're actually just not bracing your ways. They're going. Now, a lot of them are just leaving the faith. People, young people especially, are enamored with the world. Do not grow weary of their complaining when you remind them. Do not grow weary of their whining when you tell them how important it is that we find our place in our place at the house of God consistently. Don't allow them to dictate and determine your priorities. Remind them of the need to grow spiritually. 
Why? Because adding by, only by addition, addition or adding consistently can we truly keep from becoming a byword. Gone forever. The spiritual well will run dry if we don't keep growing. Remind them of the need to keep growing spiritually. Why? Because long after you're gone, you want them to believe. You want them to bear fruit. You want them to be steadfast and unmovable. You want them to carry on the faith and eventually pass it down to their children and their children's children. Again, Peter didn't just want these believers to start strong, to begin with a bang and then fizzle out. No, his desire was to see them experiencing and enjoying the faith well into the future. (laughs) I want you with me for just a moment to just stop and think how many times you are reminded of products that you should buy because you desperately need them on the internet. How many times, whether it be through advertising on television, whether it be Facebook ads, whether it be some kind of other media, that you are told over and 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 over again the same exact things. Don't you get tired of it? You say, yes, I do. But it affects you. And they ultimately, for the most part, know exactly how you will respond over time. Do you know that all they're doing is what God told Peter to tell the people? These things. I'm going to remind you over and over and over again. Get a good education. Get a good job. Buy a nice house. But we tell our kids a lot of things. Let's make sure we don't neglect the spiritual things. Let's spiritually educate them so that their priorities, like ours, align with God's. Following the death of King Ahaziah, his mother Athaliah, destroyed all his seed and became queen over Judah. I want you to think about that for a minute. His mother killed all his children. That's grandma. It's a crazy place they lived in. Oh, America's the worst place ever. That sounds pretty crazy. Thankfully, one of his sons was hidden and escaped death. Was hidden. For six years, he was hidden by the king's sister until Jehoiada the priest brought forth the king's son and presented him before the people. Athaliah, she was called out and she said, Treason! Treason! You can't do this! I'm the queen! They said, well, we can and we will because he is the the rightful bearer of the throne. He should be seated on the throne. And as a result, they took her out and killed her. And put him in place. At the age of seven years old, Jehoash, or Joash as he was called, became king of Judah. Now this is interesting. I want you to take your Bible, if you would. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2. 
And we're, this is kind of the conclusion of the matter. This is kind of the story that ends it all for me. This is my final illustration, if you will, which I'd had no illustrations up to this point, and we're actually using a Bible one. Notice what it says in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2. We have this young seven-year-old. Of course, we know that he can't rule on his own. There's no doubt of that. But what we're going to see is that Jehoiada, the priest, would be his mentor, his guide. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2. And Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days wherein Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. That's important to know. Now, in that same chapter, 2 Kings 12, it goes on to describe these financial dealings of Joash, how, what he did and how he operated. It also talks about King Joash's main achievement, making repairs to the temple. He also used some money or gifts to persuade King Haziel of Aram, Syria, if that's what you want to call it, Syria, not to attack Jerusalem. He did all of those things. Now, the tragedy of King Joash's life is that after his mentor or guardian, Jehoiada the priest, died, he began listening to wicked counselors. He didn't continue in the direction he had been taught to go in or to go in. As a matter of fact, Joash revived Baal worship in Judah. Idolatry. Although God sent prophets to warn Joash, He didn't listen to him. As a matter of fact, finally the prophet Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, his mentor, his guide, comes to him and reminds him and delivers a message from God telling him, you better straighten up, you got to get it right. And the king ordered the son of his old friend to be stoned to death. Boy, he's come a long ways, hasn't he? By the way, Joash's reign did not end peacefully either. You know that his staff, if you will, those around him conspired against him and they assassinated him. Now, here's this king, a young man at the age of seven. As long as this priest and his mentoring guide is alive, he's fine. But as soon as he dies, he goes another direction. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's the deal. Peter is determined to leave a legacy of faith that will endure the test of time. He's made up his mind. He knew that these believers were aware of the truth. He knew that they were even established in it. However, he continued to remind them over and over and over again so that when one day he was gone, they'd continue to bear fruit, remain steadfast and unmovable, and eventually pass the faith down to the next generation. If a man a king of Judah, if a man that was put on the throne at the age of seven and was given tremendous leadership could turn his back on God and ultimately go a different direction at the end of the life of a mentor, my friend, let me tell you, our children can make that same horrible decision. And I want you to know that it's not that ugly to say, remember, 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 so that one day they don't forget. Well, they'll get tired of it. Who cares? Maybe Joash needed to hear it one more time. I have a Father's Day card here. 
It's for my dad. And I'm going to hand my dad a Father's Day card in appreciation for the leadership that he has given me in my lifetime. But the truth is today, more than needing a card from our children, we need to hand them a gift. You know what that gift is? These things. Boy, I'll tell you what, I don't care if my children ever give me one of these, but I do care if they get this from me. And if they're getting that from me, they're probably going to do okay on the other end of it too. Let me tell you something. Dads, we need to make sure that we're giving the gift to them. And that gift is these things right here. These things. These things. These things. Remind them. That is the admonition. That is the exhortation we see in 1 Peter. Remind them. Plant your feet on a firm foundation, young man, young lady, and add to your faith. Don't ever stop growing. Remain fruitful and never fall. The only way that happens is to keep growing. You stop growing, you're going to go backwards in your Christian faith. And eventually, you'll be missing in action. And you may end up even like Joash, king of Judah. Let's remind them. And if maybe today you don't even know Christ yourself, maybe today your life has yet to be transformed and changed by the person of Jesus Christ. Boy, today would be a great day to receive and accept him as Savior and Lord, to have your sin addressed and dealt with, forgiven, to have the shame and the guilt removed, to have hope of an eternal abode called heaven and the presence of Christ for eternity instead of having only hell to look forward to. Won't you put your faith in Christ today if you haven't already? And if you have, begin to grow. Make it a point in your life to grow consistently. Be in your Bible. Study out the scriptures. Be in your place at the house of God. Allow God to move you and make you and mold you so that you with confidence can look your children, grandchildren in the eye and say, you've got to keep growing. You've got to steadily improve in your walk with Christ because I won't be here forever and long after I'm gone, I want to know you'll be fruitful and that you will never, ever fall. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the time that we've had today, just gathered around this simple truth, this precious word. We thank you, Father, for just the gifts that we have in our own lives that we receive. But Lord, for us today, we have an opportunity to give something. And that's these things to the next generation. Lord, we need you today. We pray for your leadership. Lord, there may be those that are here without Christ. I pray that they would trust and receive him even today. Lord, for those that do know him, 
I pray, Lord, that they would make a commitment in their own life to consistently, continually grow, to add to their faith these things. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I trust that you have received and accepted Christ, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't know for sure heaven's your home and you possibly have never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life. Today would be a good day to do that. Today is the day of salvation. It's the right time. The Bible says so. Don't put it off. Don't delay. Preacher, today, i got to admit, with every head bowed and every eye closed, that I don't know for sure heaven's my home. I can't say I know that for sure, but I certainly need to know it. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a young man or a young lady, teenager. doesn't matter. I don't have that settled. Would you pray for me, preacher? I need to get, I, I know I need some things to get settled in my life. Will you pray for me, preacher, with every head bowed, every eye closed? Would you slip your hand up? Let me see it. I don't have that settled in my life. Anybody? I'm, I'll pray for you. I really will. I'll have a word of prayer for you in just a moment. Can I do that for you? Can I do that? Okay. If there's no hands, then I'm going to assume everybody's saved. Okay. I'll have to assume that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to assume that you lied to me. Or lied to the Lord. I won't do that. So how are you growing? Have you made a conscious decision to add to your faith? If you haven't, in just a moment when the music begins to play, you need to come. And maybe come to the altar and say, Lord, I have not committed to growth in my Christian life. Oh, I believe I'm saved. But I have yet to truly make it a point to grow or to truly take steps in that area like I would to get better at my job or better in my school or classes, I need to do that in my Christian life too. And then number three, maybe you're a dad today. Maybe you need to make a commitment in an altar and say, you know what? I need to remind my children more consistently. I need to make sure that they know what it takes to be fruitful in the Christian life and what's required to never fall, and that is to continually grow in their faith. And I'm going to keep encouraging them to do so and pointing them to truth constantly. Will you do that, Dad? Father, bless us now in this time of invitation as the music plays. Help us to make decisions that will bless you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.